Good morning. So let me just give a word on this Juliet. Uh, Melissa Hawkins, I performed her wedding. I know her. I've seen the performance. She's the real deal. This is going to be really, really good, powerful. And the playwright is writing the story of his parents. His dad was a pastor, and his mother, uh, mother, his six brothers and sisters, when his dad was put in prison uh, for 22 years. And he and his mom and his siblings were all dragged off to a Romanian gulag. And it's her wrestling with God in the midst of incredible hardship. And so it's the perfect, uh, non-threatening opportunity for you to introduce someone to Door Creek and to have over dessert afterwards just a stimulating conversation about eternal things. So I encourage you to be thinking this week about people that you could invite and have over to your apartment or house afterwards. Another thing I want to say is, a year ago today, at 3 o'clock, I was waiting for a call because that's when they said they were going to call, but nobody called at 3 o'clock. And then it was 3.30. And then it was 4 o'clock, and I'm starting to get nervous. And so I decided to call Brian Russ, the chairman of the stewardship board of Door Creek Church. And when he picked up the phone, I said, hey, Brian, it's Mark. He said, oh, yeah, I was going to call you. <laughs> you want to hear about the vote? I said, yeah. He said, it's good. I said, good. So that's a year ago today. I can't even believe that it's gone that fast. Well, what I want to say is, we're so happy to be here. We love Door Creek, and we love Madison. It's a privilege to work with this great team here, and with you partnering with Christ, change lives to change the world. So, what a year it's been, and wow, we got a great year ahead of us. But um, let's get to the message. I want to show you a picture of um, Balek, Switzerland. Well, you think it's about little Luke, but it's, uh, it's really about Balek. There's Luke with one of those classic Two key, uh, one kilo, that means 2.2 pound loaf of bread. We loved going down to the bakery and getting those, especially in the morning when they were hot out of the oven. And, you know, it didn't take the My Fairs very long for us to get through that. Yeah, that usually didn't make it through, uh, you know, two days. And we love that bread, but this story is not about the bread. It's about that place, Balek, Switzerland, little tiny village, little happy hamlet, sleepy place in the foothills of the Alps, right along the French-Swiss border. I mean, really close, a couple kilometers away. In fact, the hill's just over Luke's left ear. That's already France. Well, when I first got there as a kid, and I was looking over and taking in all the scenery, I was amazed when my dad said, you see those little chalets across the hill? And sure enough, you look across the way and down the valley and across, you see a couple of chalets there in the distance. He says, they're not really chalets. He said, really? They look like they're really chalets. He says, no, they're military bunkers. They, they've got cannons behind there. There's a whole fort dug out in the hill there. And it's this fort that you can go through today. In 39 to 45, it was given the title Fort Pregiro. A hundred soldiers about were stationed right there. And they were ready for Hitler's attack. Right there on the border, the young pass funneled through. And they were sure he would... Bring an attack right at that place. And so they mounted a great defensive system around there. It wasn't hard for this sleepy little hamlet to realize that they were in war times. Because everywhere you went around the Swiss border, whether it was over in Austria or Italy in the south or Germany or France, there were German soldiers. They knew they were in a war. Now, thankfully, Hitler never attacked Switzerland. 
My relatives never had to, to fight, but they were ready. And the interesting thing is when Hitler was overthrown, he's committed suicide, and the Allied forces gained victory, and they march into Berlin. They get into the headquarters of the enemy, and you know what they find? They find an invasion plan for that very valley. They were ready to stand. Stand the ground in an, in an attack. And the question this morning is, are we ready? Because the scriptures tell us this morning that there is an enemy who's got a plan of attack, and he's coming after those. Those who have identified themselves with Christ and said, I'm on with Christ in his mission of bringing all things together in him, all things in heaven and on earth. And we're part of that and working it out in our relationships in the church and our relationships at home and in the workplace and wherever that is. Here's what Paul's saying. If you've signed on for Christ and his mission, you better expect a fight. And isn't it interesting that having just studied about our relationships in this church, our relationships in marriage, our relationships in the family, our relationships at work, that he would now talk about the battle. So take your Bibles, Ephesians chapter 6. Let's read together our text this morning, verses 10 through 13. Page 830. Finally... Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, Put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground and after you've done everything, to stand. And so, if you and I are going to stand in battle, we have to find our strength in Christ and in his armor. And there's really one basic command that we have from our general. And the command is, be strong. Be strong. Be strengthened by Christ's awesome power as you put on his armor. And the word there in the original language has this nuance. It's in the passive tense, which means be made strong. Be made strong. Be strengthened by Christ and his mighty power. So what it's not saying is, hey, buck up, buddy, and get your armor on. Get, get, get some armor, anything, and work out because you're ready to go into a battle. No, it's, hey, let Christ be your strength. Put on his full armor. And when you think about this command to be strong in his mighty power, it's good to remember the paradox that the Bible gives us relative to strength and weakness. Here's the paradox. You know what a paradox is? Truth standing on its head, calling attention to itself. Here's the paradox. Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 9 and 10, God's power is perfected in our weakness. So Paul goes on to say in verse 10, that's why I boast about my weakness, because when I'm weak, that's when I'm really strong. And so being strong and being made strong begins with a self-awareness of who we are, or shall we say, who we aren't. This truth came crashing home for a pastor named Jerry Kirk. 
He served in the city of Cincinnati, and he led this charge, this battle against pornography in Cincinnati. And he was quite successful. They pretty much wiped it out of their city. He started a a national organization. He became the founder and the president of it. And more and more, his, his time was spent there, traveling around the country, helping other cities fight the same battle. And he said, you know, I, I spent a lot of time in hotel rooms in my travels. And I was surprised to find out that the battle I was fighting was my own battle in that very hotel room. He talks about one fall evening, obviously in the month of October. It's the fall classic, the World Series. He turns on the TV for the series. He sees the game. And after commercial break, about 10 minutes into the game, he starts surfing. All of a sudden, he lands on an X-rated movie. He watches it a little longer than he should have. Flips back to the channel. Ten minutes later goes by and he flips back to the movie. This goes on five or six times before he finally shuts off the TV. And here's what he said. He said, I couldn't believe the power of this temptation, the very temptation that I was dedicating my life to fight against. I couldn't believe the power of it in my own life. It was unnerving. He said, I come face to face with the Lord and I was pleading with him for mercy to help me, to strengthen me. And I felt like like my prayers weren't going anywhere. I felt like I was just totally wiping out in this little confrontation, this battle. And he said, you know, it's as if God spoke to me. And here's what he said to me. He said, Jerry, I know who you are. I know that you're weak. I know that you're a sinner, but I want you to come to grips with that's who you are, that you are weak, and that I alone can be your only strength. That self-awareness is so important to follow this command to be made strong. Now, let me tell you a story that's the complete opposite. It's about a pastor who was preaching, perhaps it was this very text, talking about Satan mounting attacks against his people. And so in staff meeting the following week, one of the staff members asked him, hey boss, if the uh, enemy's mounting attack in your life, where's he going? Where's he gonna go after you? He he paused and he thought about it for a long time. And then he said, I'm not really sure, but I can tell you the one place where he couldn't get me. He couldn't get me in my marriage. Well, of course, I mean, he'd written book on marriage. He'd gone around the country speaking on marriage. He was convinced the area of sexual purity, that was a strength in his life. Well, guess what? He fell into sin, committed adultery, and he lost his ministry. And so the self-awareness is not just of our weaknesses in that we are fundamentally weak, But it's even where we find ourselves strong that we just say again, I'm not as strong as I think I am. And even in a place where I'm strong, but by the grace of God, I too could fall in that temptation. That's where it begins. The simple command to be strong in the Lord, in his mighty power. Now that command has one clear goal. And the goal is repeated four times in verses 10 through verse 14. And he changes the motif here that he's been doing. Remember, he's been talking all about walking, walking out your your calling in Christ, walking in a manner worthy of that calling. Chapter 4, verse 1, walking it out in all kinds of ways, in all kinds of relationships. Now, all of a sudden, he says, stand. 
I want you to stand your ground. I want you to stand up against the devil's wicked schemes. I want you to do everything you can to stand so that you can, verse 14, stand firm. It's a clear goal. His goal is that we would stand the ground that has been won for us by Christ. He's not asking us to go and fight for new ground, to claim new territories for Christ. He's saying, hold the ground that has been won by you through Jesus Christ's death and resurrection on the cross and from the grave. A prof of mine in seminary used to say this to us all the time, Warren Wearsby. He said, look, the battle's already been won. The, the devil's defeated by Christ. We're not fighting for victory. We're fighting from victory. And he asks us to hold the ground. Now, my, my uh, forefathers there in Switzerland, they, they weren't looking to take new ground when they built the fort, when they armed themselves against the enemy. They were trying to hold the ground that had been theirs since their forefathers won it back in 1292. And Christ is asking us to hold the ground that he's won for us on the cross. Stay in that position. Don't give up that position. Well, when we think about standing, here's what the scripture calls us to. It reminds us that we stand by grace in Romans 5, 2. It reminds us that we stand by faith in Romans eleven twenty. It reminds us that we stand on the gospel in 1 Corinthians 15, 1. It reminds us that we stand in Christ, in God's will, his word, and only with God's help. He's the one that makes us to stand firm. And so the question is, if the clear command is be strong in the Lord, with the clear goal being that we stand in the day of battle, holding the position that was been won for us by Christ, the question then is, how do we do that? And he gives us one simple task. Yes, we're to find our strength and be strengthened by Christ, but now he's calling us to do something. And here's the task. Put on the full armor of God. Not just some of it. Not your armor, but his. So look at verses 14 through 17. Now, the next three weeks, we're going to just start picking through these pieces of armor. Here's what he says in verse 14. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist with the breastplate of righteousness in place and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And the point here is the fall armor. I mean, some of us go, man, I like the sword. Give me the sword. I mean, I'm ready. Come on, let's go. Well, if, you, if that's all you go into battle with, the sword, that we're, we're going to get killed. We've got to have it all on. We've got to have it all on. So if we're going to stand in the battle, we have to find our strength in Christ. And we've got to find it in his armor. That's how we're strengthened, as we put on his full armor. Now, he goes on, he says one last thing. He says, if you want to stand in the battle... You better know the enemy. You better know who he is and what his schemes are. And so let me just rehearse some things that the scriptures teach us about the enemy. Number one, he's a liar and he uses deceit. 
John 8, 44. You belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desire, Jesus says. He was a murderer from the beginning. Not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him, Jesus says. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he's a liar and the father of all lies. That's who he is, and that's part of his schemes. Deceit. Lies. He's called the angel of light. When he's really the angel of death and darkness. Jesus describes him like the thief who comes to steal and to kill and destroy in John 10.10. And he uses deceit to get us to move away from God. I, I don't know what the lies were that my friend heard when he started to gamble. But here's what I can tell you. And I just met with my friend last week over lunch. Hadn't seen him for a long time. He's gambled away almost $2 million. He's lost his career. He may lose his marriage. And his life is completely a wreck. I don't know what the lies were that he whispered into my friend's ears. But I can tell you, it had nothing to do with losing your job, maybe losing your marriage, and having a life that's completely out of control. But that's what he does. I don't know what lies you're listening to, but I can tell you this. They're going to sound right. They're going to appeal to things in the core of your being. And if you're not armed with that belt of truth, you won't know it for what it is. There's a second thing the scriptures tell us about him. He's a rebel. He's a sinner. And he tempts us to sin, to rebel, to reject God's rule in our lives. John writes this, He who does what is sinful is of the devil, because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. We remember that Christ was tempted at the beginning of, of his ministry in the wilderness. John, uh, Matthew chapter 4 records that threefold temptation. We remember in chapter 2 of our book, Ephesians, that he is the spirit at work in those who are disobedient, those who are rebelling against God. This is who he is. This is the, the devil is one who was in the very presence of God, one of his glorious angels guarding the holiness in the very presence of God, and he was jealous of God, wanted to be like God, and led a whole rebellion against God. And so he comes now with temptation that we might reject God's rule and say, I want to be God of my own life. That's what he did to Eve, and that's what he does to you and to me each and every day. And here's how he does it. It's a little bit at a time. However that framework, there you have a framework. And within that framework, you say, that's okay. The scriptures ought to give us that. But whether you have a scriptural framework or not, you have a framework and you say, this is what I think is good living. And you know what he doesn't do? He doesn't take you miles from your framework. It's like he doesn't move you from Madison to Moscow. He moves you from Madison to Monona, a few blocks away. And then when you get comfortable in Monona, he redraws the lines. And then he takes you outside of the lines, and he redraws the lines. And then a couple years go by, and all of a sudden you wake up in Moscow. You go, I don't know how I got here. You got there a little bit at a time. A little bit of compromise here, a little bit of rationalization here. Believing the lies 
giving in to his lies and your desires. What else do we know? We know he is the accuser of the brethren who bogs us down with guilt. Revelation 12, verse 10, speaks of that very title, the accuser of the brethren. That means he's an accuser of those who are God's people. So let's talk about guilt. What what are you doing with yours? What do you do with guilt? For, For some of us, we'd say, well, I don't know what to do. There's stuff in my life I'm just trying to wipe my hands clean from and I can't. There's things in my mind, in my head that I just assume forget and I can't erase it. I dream about it. There's a weight and a heaviness that's oppressive. It's bringing me down and I long to have freedom and release. And the reason you may be feeling that right now because you never understood that that's what Jesus did on the cross. And the reason we sing as God's people here this morning is because he has made us free. And the guilt has been lifted off of our chests and it's no longer there in our lives. Christ paid for it and we believe that. And so we got a song to sing. And so if you've never connected the dots of all the things that you've done in your life that you know were wrong and you feel guilty about it that you be delivered from this construct of thinking I've got to pay it off somehow you and I can't pay it off he paid for it all that's what he meant when he said it's finished paid in full go to the cross and dump it there and look at Christ and say forgive me and find that freedom But then there's some of us who are saying, I did that. I did that, but I'm still dealing with guilt all the time. Why? Because we have an enemy who is the accuser of the brethren. He's an accuser of God's people. And you know what he loves to do? He loves to bring it back. It's like the COD package. It comes back to us. Charge on deliver. And he's saying, look at you, scumbag mafia. This is who you are. You call yourself a pastor. You think you're a spiritual leader. You're nothing. You're dirt. God knows who you are and you know who you are. And who are you kidding? Why don't you just quit playing a game? And he starts re just mounting these lies and these attacks and he weighs us down. You know what happens? He moves us completely away from the cross, our identity in Christ, and he completely paralyzes us from the mission. We are no longer engaged with Christ or with his mission. And we're just being weighed down. That's what he does. He's a master of it. And some of you right here today are going, that's exactly where I am. What do I do? You keep bringing back those accusations and it's like judo. What is judo? You take the movement of your opponent and you go with it and you turn it around. And you take that that accusation that's coming, you go, it's all true, but guess what? Boom, right to the cross. Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior. He died for the crud of my life and all of it that, that was a huge disappointment to God an affront to his holiness and character and he's paid for it all. I'm not who you say I am. I, in, in his love, I've been adopted. I'm a member of his family. I'm a prince. I'm a princess in the home of the king of kings. He's chosen me before the foundation of the world. I'm to be holy and blameless. And you know what? He sealed me with his spirit. He lives in me. I belong to him. That's not who I am. But he'll work it hard. 
these accusations. What else do we know? We know from the text here in verse 12, he's got his minions. There are many demons. When, when the devil rejected God's place in his life and desired to be like God, he led a whole rebellion. These are the demons that Jesus confronts in his day. So the scriptures tell us in verse 12 of our text, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood. You think this week your, your battle's been with your wife or with your husband or with your kids or with your boss or somebody here in, in the church. It's not against flesh and blood, he said, but it's against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. He has many demons. You and I ought never to be too proud to be thinking that he's going to take any time for us. We're, we're, he's not worried about us, friends. He's not worried about me. He's not you. But his demons, maybe. His demons, maybe, if we're engaged in that mission. And so here's what we need to remember. Two last things. He's been defeated. Hebrews 2.14. Since the children have flesh and blood, Christ, too, shared in their humanity, so that by his death, he, Jesus, might what? Destroy him who holds the power of death. Say that with me. Destroy him who holds the power of death, that is the devil. He is defeated. It's not for victory, it's from victory. He's been defeated. He's still alive. He will one day be destroyed when Christ comes back and reigns forever, establishing his new heaven and new earth. But he's defeated. Don't forget that. The final thing I want to say here is Jesus is greater than the devil. He's greater than Satan, our adversary. John writes, you dear children are from God and have overcome them because the one who is in you is greater than the one who's in the world, who's in us. The spirit, whose spirit? Christ's spirit. Remember chapter one, verses 13 and 14, having believed the word of truth, the gospel of our salvation, we've been sealed with the spirit and the spirit in us, this powerful spirit that rose Christ from the dead is greater than, than he that's in the world. So remember that, that our Savior, Jesus Christ, came and walked on this earth and he cast out the demons and he had authority over the demons. He's greater than the demons. He called, he called creation to submit to his word when he calmed the sea with a simple, be still. He, he met the paralytic and he said, rise up, take up your pallet and walk. He saw the blind and he healed them so they could see. The woman who couldn't stop bleeding, he touched her. She touched him and she stopped bleeding. And on and on it goes, his healing power. He is greater, greater even than the forces of sin and of death when he forgave person after person of their sin. And as he raised up Lazarus, his friend, as he raised up Jairus' daughter and said, Talitha kum, little girl, rise up, come back to life. And he sprung from the grave. He is greater. And you see all the evil in the world around you and you heard it again this week in our own community, murder. And it's happening every day. We're numb to it. We don't even feel it anymore. But there's evil, and some of us, we do feel, and it's overwhelming. Don't be overwhelmed by evil. Remember, the greater is he that is in you than he that's in the world. So let me give you four dangers to avoid here as we think about spiritual battle. The first is that we disregard his existence. Barna says 70% of Americans believe in a creator God, but 60% of Americans don't believe in a personal devil. Yeah, there's some kind of cosmic force out there, evil, but I don't believe in the devil. And here's what's concerning to me, is that we may have people, you've heard the phrase, uh, a, um, a practical atheist. That, that, that is, you believe in God, but when it comes to how you live your life, 
You really don't. I mean, there's nothing in your life and how you live it that has any quick connection with God, a relationship with him and his purposes in this world. You're a functional atheist. I'm concerned that right here in Door Creek, in this room here, we have functional, I'll call it, asatanists. We don't believe, well, we believe in Satan, we say that, but we don't really believe in it because it doesn't change. Anyway, we, we have no clue that there's anything like a battle, like an enemy who might be trying to get us to stray from the mission of God. So that's a huge danger to avoid, disregarding, denying his existence. The second is giving him too much credit. Now, one of the things that can happen is we start thinking that, that Satan is just like God. You know, it's this equal, it's dualism. You've, you've got Satan over here and evil, and you've got God over here and good, and they're equal forces duking it out. That is not the teaching of Scripture, not at all. Do not give the devil too much credit or his demons. Satan is not all-powerful. Only God is all-powerful. Satan is not all-knowing. Only God is all-knowing. Satan is not everywhere present at the same time. Only God is omnipresent. Don't give him too much credit and do not pay too much attention to him. Now, some of us are wired just like this. We're going, yeah, that's kind of an interesting message in verse 12. He didn't say a whole lot about verse 12, but I am going to be studying verse 12 this week. What about those rulers and the authorities and those spiritual forces of evil? And What's going on there? Like, is there a hierarchy, the demons? And I'm going to study all that stuff. Don't waste your time. You know what you need to know from the scriptures here. You have an enemy. He's got forces with him. And you know his M.O. Rather, you go back this week and say, I want to meditate on his mighty power. I don't think I understand that. I want to meditate on the armor of God. I don't think I get that. I don't even think I I know what it is, let alone know how to put it on. Be careful that you don't pay too much attention to the evil one and his minions. And finally, don't blame him for your shortcomings. When I was a kid, Flip Wilson was a comedian, and he had a classic line that he gave through his his, uh, enactment of Geraldine. You remember it, some of us. The devil made me what? Do it. That's right. The devil made me do it. It's not my fault. I couldn't help myself. Whew, man, that was some, st- that was some, whoa, that was over-the-top temptation. I couldn't help myself. You can't say that. Paul says in Corinthians, hey, there's no temptation that you're facing. This isn't common to the rest of us. And with every temptation, he gives us an exit sign, a way of escape, and we can never say, I, 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 I couldn't help it, man. The devil made me do it. These are dangers to avoid. So my great concern here is this, friends, that you understand the command to be strong in his strength. You understand the goal is to stand, and you understand the way you're going to get there to have a strong stance in the attack is to put on all the armor. That's not my concern. My concern is that you still don't get that you're living in a war zone. I mean, if you're in the mission, you're in a war zone. So I, I want to bring up a friend of Door Creek, Major Michael George, Battalion Commander of the 2nd Battalion, 128th Infantry Regiment. Sir, Hi. I want to talk about these things. So tell us, Mike, about how your military experience, your background a little bit. Uh, sure, Mark. I have 24 years of service. I enlisted into the Marine Corps in 1978 came off active duty in 1982, 
had a break in service to complete my college degree, and then I enlisted into the Army National Guard here in Wisconsin, got my commission as an officer, and I've been serving ever since. All right, you just recently returned from a 15-month deployment. Twelve of those months were in Kuwait, where uh, you and your battalion were protecting the coalition forces going in and out of Iraq. So tell us, what is it like, Michael, to live in a war zone? What's it take? The, uh, the first and most important thing, of course, is the, the um, recognition that you're sharing that battle space, as we call it, the, the area of operation, territory, uh, with an enemy, mm. with an enemy, flesh and blood, who wants to do you and your buddies harm. Uh, and that colors everything you do, as we, you can see my buddy and I up here when we return from the mission. It colors everything you do from protecting yourself, putting on the, your, uh, your uh, body armor, helmet, ensuring that you've got your weapons uh, functioning the way they should, all your equipment, your, your vehicles, uh, just being fully protected and ready to engage the enemy. Um, when you think about the enemy, you mentioned kind of an elusive enemy, kind of um, uh, a cunning enemy. What did you do to protect yourself, and what did you do to protect uh, the coalition forces? Uh, Mark, we had a very proactive uh, intelligence operation. We networked with coalition forces throughout our, our area of operation, the British, other Army units, Marine Corps, and we did this to keep an edge to stay uh, knowledgeable as we could about the enemy, his uh, movements, his tactics and techniques as they changed. And that caused us at times to change the way that we do, did things uh, to prepare our soldiers when we sent them out on uh, missions and patrols uh, protecting coalition forces. Uh, we would adapt what we did, our tactics, uh, to how the enemy was changing to combat us. So you're back. Uh, your address is now Monona, but you're still, now you're the commander of this battalion. So how do you stay sharp and keep your men sharp, uh, though you're not over in a war zone? And that's not easy, Mark. As, uh, as we return off a of deployment, coming back here to the security and, and uh, peace of our communities, uh, readjusting to life, our, our families, our, our work and homes, um, it's, there's a tendency to relax, get a little lazy, eat all those foods that you missed on deployment, get a little pudgy. Uh, so there's three things. We, we now are encouraging all of our soldiers to uh, um, fit physical fitness, to do those things they need to do to become uh, more fit, especially older guys like me. Um, operating overseas on mission is very physically demanding. Uh, it's emotionally draining. And physical fitness is extremely important. In addition, we continue to study the enemy. And uh, as there are changes, we change our training and our equipment to adapt. And we train. We continue to uh, train for our wartime mission uh, so that our soldiers, when deployed again, they'll survive. Okay. One last question. Um, you've uh, given yourself professionally to military service. And uh, you, more importantly, are part of God's mission. And as you've been thinking about your, your career and this passage, what's one thing that you would share that God's just been speaking to you about uh, being a soldier in his mission, changing lives? Uh, Mark, being a soldier is all about obeying commands um, obediently and um, uh, willfully. Mm -hmm. 
And um, in this passage uh, that Paul has given us, uh, I need to obey the command to uh, be strengthened with God's full armor. Um, Otherwise, when I go out and I encounter those daily, weekly attacks by the enemy, Satan, um, I, I'm going to fail unless I'm, I'm fully armored with God's armor. Good. Hey, Mike, let's thank him for sharing this morning. Thanks, friend. Well, I think back over what Mike has shared in these three services in our conversations this past week. Here's a couple things that you might just want to jot down. I think are really, really helpful. I heard Mike say, stick together when you live in a war zone. That's a great word for the church. Stick together. Uh, he said, you know, you need to come to the awareness that you share, you share this territory with an enemy. That's good to remember. That we walk on this earth, and there's an enemy who has this earth as part of his territory, part of his operation. He said another thing that's really important. Follow your commanding officer's orders. And finally, you better put it all on. Put it all on. So I got a couple questions that I think maybe would be good for you to ask yourself as we wrap it up. Am I engaged in the mission of God? I can tell you this. If you're not in the mission of God, you're not living on a battlefield. So the quickest way to resolve the conflict is to say, I didn't sign up for this. I don't want to follow Christ. I don't want to be part of his mission. Am I engaged in the mission of God? Am I in the battle? If so, where? What is the source of my strength? Is it in me? Or do I realize it's got to come from a source outside of me? Three, am I familiar with the enemy and his tactics? Four, where am I susceptible to the enemy's tactics? Fifth, am I dressed for battle or still in civilian clothes? Do I know how to use God's armor? Do I have all of it on? Am I living in Baghdad or Beverly Hills? And finally, do I really believe there's a battle? Let's pray. Lord, I believe that, that that we're in a battle on the basis of your word and my experience. I believe that. And I believe there are a lot of people here this morning that are in the battle. And I pray, Lord, that they would be strengthened and encouraged to stand strong in your mighty power with all of your armor on them. Help us to grow in our awareness of what that all is and what that all means. And may we, Father, find great victory this week as we walk with you and for you. Pray for those who feel like they got pretty wounded and bloodied up in the battle, haven't done so well. Reminded again of your grace, of your mercy. And we pray, Father, that you would dust them off, surround them with brothers and sisters who would lock arms and go at it again another week, another day. We pray this in Christ's name and for his honor and glory. Amen.